And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Amen. God bless his word to us. Let's pray. O gracious God and Father, what a thing it is that the Lord Jesus calls us not to Uh, calls his ministers not to preach the sermons other men have preached, but to preach the sermon that he has preached. And so, Father, this being the Lord Jesus Christ's magnificent and um, remarkable word to the people of God, we pray that you would help the minister who now preaches, that he would preach by the Spirit of Christ, that the very Lord who preached these words would preach through him by his Holy Spirit, that you would keep the minister from his own thoughts and his own understanding, but instead that he would seek the mind of Christ and that all of us here who are now gathered around, around the word of God, surely as those early disciples were gathered around the Lord Jesus, we would hear Christ speak to us and we would receive a word of comfort. Blessed are the poor in spirit. May we have that uh, blessed sight before us And we ask for it now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you're probably aware, philosophers have long debated what makes man happy, or what will make man happy. Uh, You know some of the answers were given from, from, from some of the philosophers. Plato said, knowledge and virtue. You had Epicurus, who didn't, as many of us think, say that pleasure gives virtue, but lack of pain uh, gives, sorry, blessedness. Lack of pain, absence of pain, gives you uh, a kind of happiness. Uh, Then you have Nietzsche, who might have said, if he thought anything could be happy, um, that uh, striving and achievement, that's the way to a kind of happiness. And this idea is so ingrained in the heart of men, boys and girls, you might remember that when our nation sought its independence, we went so far as to say that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were unalienable rights given to us by our creator. You can see how this striving for happiness is so ingrained upon us. Um, And part of the reason that we are miserable is because we seek happiness in all these ways, that the world seeks it. Oftentimes we have no understanding of what true happiness is as Christ teaches it here And so why is it we're miserable? Because we don't actually embrace what true happiness is. But in contrast to the world and our nation, uh, we come here to this greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, where Christ, who is the creator, right? We say that 
uh, in the Declaration of Independence that uh, all men are given the unalienable right to pursue happiness by their creator. Well, here's the creator himself in the flesh opening up the law of the Sermon on the Mount with true happiness and true felicity, with these eight Beatitudes. Now, boys and girls, you might wonder what the word Beatitude means. Well, it comes from the Latin word. That Latin word, Beatitude, means blessed, blessed. Um, Sometimes rightly said, uh, it could be translated happy. Yet, uh, we need a proper understanding of what this word blessed means, because often for us, happiness is just the product of circumstance, and it's often fleeting. We're happy when we have and enjoy a great meal. But what happens? The meal doesn't last very long, and it soon is expelled out of the body, isn't it? Is there true happiness in that, even though we'll say we were happy for a time? Well, the Greek word under blessed here in the Greek New Testament has the sense, rather, of favor being bestowed on you. Favor being bestowed. Favor, as we understand as Christians, as favor bestowed by Jehovah, Uh, Jehovah smiling on you. So this is a blessedness that doesn't come from ourselves or from circumstances, but the root of true blessedness and happiness is the benediction. You think of the benediction, boys and girls, you see it, uh, you hear it every Lord's Day, right? The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. You see, this is the source of true blessedness. This is the source of true happiness. The triune God who only can bless. And that's what Christ is proclaiming here. And in these Beatitudes, what you find is the portrait of the person who is blessed of God. So these eight characteristics make up the portrait of the person who is truly happy. And not everybody is, as you well know. These are, and we'll continue to develop this out, but I'll give it to you right now. These are those who have a saving interest in Christ. That's who these people are. Uh, The benediction only truly is pronounced on those who have an interest in Christ. Sometimes you might know children. When I give the benediction, I say, children of God receive the benediction. Because that blessing is not for everybody. It's only for those who are Christians, those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so true happiness, abiding happiness, can only come from those who are in Christ. So these Beatitudes are a portrait of the saved person and their characteristics. They're not given as a law on how to earn salvation, but just a description, characteristics of a person who's saved. Every disciple, in some measure, must have all eight characteristics that are found here. These are the characteristics that are found in different measure in every child of God. So every child of God must say, I am poor in spirit. Every child of God must say, I have mourned. We'll consider that next week as to what kind of mourning and over what. Every child of God must say they are meek. Every child of God must say they must hunger and thirst after righteousness. Every child of God must be merciful and so on. And we are to embrace these characteristics. And as we embrace them and we seek them uh, by the Lord's help, uh, our fruition of God will increase. Uh, Our happiness will increase as we embrace these uh, characteristics. And because we don't embrace these characteristics, we're often really quite miserable. 
And that maybe is the um, counterintuitive nature of these Beatitudes. Children, especially for you, embrace them while you are young. Um, they don't describe the kind of person that you will see on Instagram with hashtag blessed. Now, do they? Uh, the truly blessed are poor in spirit. They mourn, they hunger, they thirst, they're persecuted. They're hardly the happy ones that you find our society tell you are happy. Hardly, and you think of the Christian church, and you stay away from churches like this, the prosperity gospel folks, right? they will tell you blessedness is something completely different than this. And you would have to ask them, why do you not teach that true blessing comes from these markers here? But even true and ordinary Christians struggle with knowing where true blessedness is found. And what you will find overall, and I know we're going a little long in the intro because we're setting up the Beatitudes, what you will find is true blessedness, according to Christ, is not found in yourself. It's not found in your circumstances. It's not found in your possessions. It's not found in the world. It's found in God himself. And the markers that you are in him are that you have this poverty in yourself. You see little good in the world. Uh, all of your felicity, you say, comes from a transcendent God who transcends every circumstance and this present evil age. And what that means is only he can actually give you a transcendent kind of happiness. Have you ever had your soul ponder the question, why is it important that I find my happiness, my blessedness in the Lord himself? Have you ever asked the question, why is it that I can only find true happiness in him and not in the world, not in people, not in circumstances, not even in myself? Why? You have to ask your soul the question, who alone is profoundly and perfectly happy and the source of every happiness? There's only one being that is. It's God. One of his attributes is what? He is blessed forever. Romans 1.25. What does that mean? He is eternally blessed. He is eternally happy. He is eternally content. He is perfectly and infinitely so. He is unshakably and unmovably happy. His blessedness is transcendent. He doesn't need us to be happy. He doesn't need the world to be happy. He doesn't need anything to be happy. And we can't add to his happiness. We can't take away from his happiness or his blessedness. And so here in the Lord is the happiness that has eluded the philosophers. Happiness found in the ever-blessed God, who is able to give us happiness from out of himself. And which means then to chase happiness out of the outside of the one pure, holy, blessed being will be to never find happiness at all. That's just a good and necessary consequence of these things. And that is probably best illustrated in the two places that we have recently pondered, hell and heaven. You have the blessed presence of God in heaven. And so you have eternal felicity and happiness in that place. You have just the tormenting wrath of God in the other place. And so there is not even one iota of happiness to be found. Eternal misery, if you never find happiness in God through Jesus Christ, or eternal blessedness if you find your happiness in God through Jesus Christ. And so Christ here pronounces eight Beatitudes. I'll give you a pattern for them. Pattern's quite simple. Each has two parts. 
The first part is a particular quality of the blessed man or woman. And the second part is the blessing, the happiness that they receive from God. So for instance, our first beatitude, the quality, poor in spirit, the blessing, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, those, that's how these things are related. So with that introduction, our theme is tonight, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we'll have just two heads that reflect the pattern of the beatitude. First is the quality, and second is the blessing. First, the quality. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So let's understand who these blessed ones are. They're called poor in spirit. And the word poor here, and we must not misunderstand, especially children, you know, when we look at our society's conception of poor, this is not what Jesus is speaking of, uh, even when you put aside the spiritual nature that he really intends on. Um, when we think of somebody who's poor, we're thinking of somebody who's maybe a little lower than middle class, right? And we say this person is poor. But our poor in this country are nothing like the ones here. The word for poor is beggar. And the word is destitute, really. I am utterly destitute. I have nothing, absolutely nothing. This is the word that Jesus uses in Luke 16 for Lazarus. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Children, do you remember how poor he was? He desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And so this is the kind of poverty that Christ is speaking of. This sort of um, craving for even the least crumb of mercy. Total and utter desolation. But Jesus doesn't mean material poverty. Not like Lazarus's. Instead, he says poor in spirit. But you put these two things together. Your spirit is utterly, utterly without anything. This is a bankruptcy that is felt internally in the inner man or woman, where they see there is nothing in me, there is nothing good in me, especially of a moral nature. They see no righteousness of their own before God. They have no pretense that they have anything. Just as Lazarus has no pretense that he's able to go buy a house, they have no sense in themselves that there's anything good in them to commend themselves to God. You ask the question, what is it that makes a man or woman cry out to the Lord? What must I do to be saved? It's one who has felt the poverty of their spirit, that they are a sinner, that they have nothing good to commend themselves to God. The eyes of their understanding have been opened by the Holy Spirit. I am defiled. I am unclean. I am like a leper. Lust, hatred, lying, coveting, idolatry, irreligion, All of it has defiled me. I have nothing to give God. A poverty of spirit. This is the poverty that we recognize. All men possess, but few are blessed to recognize. See, this is the blessing. That the Lord opens your eyes to these things. When he hasn't opened the eyes of so many. So many who think that they are rich and fat and full. That they are good persons. The blessing comes that the Lord has opened your eyes. I am none of that. I am just a sinner. And not only that, I am a sinner with nothing in the account. I have an infinite debt to God, which makes that poverty even worse. That my sin puts me in debt to God as I have offended his holiness. With a debt so vast and deep, that I could never buy him off, I could never do anything good to earn what I owe God, and that the best I have are as filthy rags as Isaiah 64.6 says. 
knowing even my good works are, are filthy and defiled with sin and cannot erase my debt to God, and I, I cry out that I am poor in spirit. You know, many verses later in verse 26, right, we have in this portion of God's word, we have the parable of the debtors. And here we find the view of the sin debt we cannot repay to God. And God says to us, thou shalt by no means come out dense till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. We recognize that, that I will never leave hell because I cannot pay back what I owe God. And when you feel the force of these truths pressed upon you by the Holy Spirit and the word of God, you feel the destitute nature of your soul, and that's the blessing. When we mourn the poverty of our spirit, our heart is broken. We're contrite over our sin. We're so sorry, God, for all that I've done. But that's the blessing Christ is showing us. Is it not wondrous to you sinners that his beatitude is not blessed are the righteous? I don't think we often think of it that way. But he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, what does Jesus say is in the heart of the man who goes home justified? God have mercy on me, the sinner. Poverty of spirit. As you often sing in David's 51st Psalm, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Poverty of spirit, not despise. That's the blessed uh, nature of the gospel. God has always said these ones are blessed. Psalm thirty four eighteen. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. What of Isaiah 66, verse 2? Perhaps the most precious as you think on this beatitude. For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. In the benediction, what does it mean for God to look upon one? It's to bless them, isn't it? And so you see this man which I will look upon even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. That means the Lord is blessing such a one as that. So what we must do is never pretend ever at all that we have anything good in us to commend ourselves to God, that we are rich in our own self. We must ever remember that the blessing comes when we recognize we are beggars. So let me address those of you who are here who might think of yourself as rich, uh, the self-satisfied. There are two kinds of rich people that need addressing in the scriptures. The first are those who think of themselves as morally rich, those who think of themselves as good. And I would have all of you ask, do I think of myself as good? Do I think of myself as good before God? Just by myself, no need for Christ, do I think I am good? You have no blessing at all, the Lord says. His blessed countenance does not shine on you. He sees you as we heard last week in Laodicea. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not what? That thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Revelation 3.17 
You see, this is the thing. Such a one is not blessed because they cannot see their poverty. You are deluded, as we heard last week. You are no good person at all. And uh, let me just tell you, if you don't believe that now, your facade will fail. It will fall when you encounter God without Christ. You will say, as the prophet Isaiah, a man of God who said, Woe is unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Now the blessing shines only on those of you who admit you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Spiritual pride is ruinous, is the thing. The poor in spirit are happy, are blessed. And even those of you who profess to be believers with faith in the Lord, there is absolutely no blessedness in haughtiness and pride before God. There is not a single beatitude that comes. Blessed are the proud. The face of God doesn't shine on the proud, but on the contrite alone. Remember the great proverb, pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 16, 18. The very opposite of the blessing. You can actually take that as an exercise. Children, take each beatitude and flip it around. And you could say, cursed are the proud in spirit. Second, let me address those of you here who are outwardly rich in the things of this world and you find your satisfaction there. Uh, As many of us know, as we've gone door to door in our neighborhood, uh, these are often the hardest to uh, speak the word of God to. And the curse to you is that you find that your riches have made you happy. But uh, the Lord warns you who think your satisfaction is in material things. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? If you're rich in the things of this world, the Lord Jesus says it's very hard for one such as you to be saved. Not impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. But it's very hard for you to discover the poverty of your soul. You know, you may go into the ground in a gold-plated coffin with perhaps the world's best clothing as you're buried, but you will already, before you have entered the grave, have come before God, and you will find that your clothes and your coffin did not come with you, and you will hear, Thou fool, as you see yourself naked and unclean before God. And as the Bible says, you will howl in agony and in terror, And your wealth will have abandoned you. And absolutely nothing will cover your guilt and shame before God. But while rich men and women are rarely saved, as I've said, they can and have been saved. Praise God. They just need to recognize the great poverty of their spirit as the word of God proclaims it. That they need Christ more than anything. And then they will have the true riches and the true wealth. And they will have life everlasting. Again, thing is, we are all, all of us, myself, yourself included, all poor in spirit. It's only the grace of God that gives us the sight to see it. So may God open your eyes and drop the facade that you and I are anything but poor in spirit, friends. And it's because we don't understand it's the grace of God that comes to us to to bring our spirit low. We don't embrace that as a blessing. And often this is why, of course, the the pill pushers are are so 
uh, extraordinarily wealthy in America. It's because anytime we feel the slightest motion of poverty of spirit, give me something to get rid of this awful feeling, right? But if you would truly grapple with conscience, if you would truly grapple with providence, when the Lord brings you low and you would embrace blessed are the poor in spirit, you would find happiness when you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear who Jesus came for and who Jesus came to bless. When he inaugurated his ministry before the Sermon on the Mount itself, uh, as we heard it in Isaiah 61, he preached a prophetic word concerning him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. There is the blessedness of the poor in spirit. You say, O my soul, Jesus came for me. He came to preach the gospel to me. He came to heal me of my sin. He came to deliver me of my captivity to sin and Satan and to translate me into the kingdom of heaven to have eternal happiness. And what's even the mechanism by which he does these things? He gives himself for me, those who are poor in spirit. This is the good news to beggars like Lazarus, spiritually, who are not too proud to beg Christ for a crumb, but instead of a mere crumb, a mere taste of blessedness, they get a kingdom purchased by the king's own sufferings. And that's what we'll consider in our second head, the blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here is the favor, here is the happiness the Lord bestows upon you. And this ought to be your happiness. And part of the problem is we don't actually know where to find happiness. And when the Lord gives it to us, we say, not good, not my happiness, not my joy. But he says the happiness for you, child of God, for the poor in spirit, is that you have the kingdom of heaven. First of all, even just think of the bare words. Who is it that gives beggars a kingdom? We have nothing, and he gives us a kingdom. Not just any kingdom, the most extravagant kingdom, the highest and most glorious kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, with Christ its king. This beatitude teaches us something simple yet profound, often overlooked, that blessedness, true happiness, is found in being part of this kingdom. You know, a certain company owns a theme park that they call the happiest place on the earth. They call it the Magic Kingdom, but that is a satanic counterfeit to the true happiest place. The Kingdom of God. Why? Because we have access to God and true happiness through Jesus Christ. That is truly the happiest place of all. It's the Kingdom of Heaven And we have to rejoice in this because those who are in this kingdom will be in heaven. This is, they will find the blessing of the sixth beatitude, which is, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So how does one enter the kingdom of heaven to have this blessed sight of God? Well, out of the poverty of your spirit, you cast yourself upon Christ in faith. Jesus said, 
If you must have this kingdom, you must be born again. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 3. You must be born again. You must have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very fitting that this is the first beatitude then, isn't it? Because this, the Sermon on the Mount, is really Christ the King preaching the kingdom. And so, of course, the very first beatitude shows you how you enter the kingdom. Not by keeping the precepts of the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, if you've considered that sermon and you consider the, the great and high calling of it, in fact, what it should drive you to is poverty of spirit. Because I am not these things in myself. But he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Showing you that the entrance into the kingdom is not by way of keeping the precepts of the sermon, but instead by knowing that you are a sinner who needs Christ. So if your spirit is downcast, you are to cast yourself upon Christ. And he, the king himself, will receive you and lift you up and bring you into his kingdom. And you will have eternal blessedness, which is peace with God. And so we find that poverty of spirit is a marker of the new birth. And then we rejoice when we have it because I have been born again. I can see the kingdom of God. This is my happiness. And the kingdom of heaven, you don't wait to receive it. You have it even now in this life. Um, if you are born again, you have it. Luke seventeen twenty one. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you, meaning in your midst. Now, where is this kingdom? Well, of course, you know, there's a component that's in our heart, yes. But the visible kingdom of, earth, of heaven on the earth is the church, uh, consisting of all those who profess the true religion and their children. Uh, we don't have time to dive into all that theology tonight, but you can see chapter 25 of the Confession and its scripture proofs. But here's then the um, good and necessary consequence. To be part of the church of Christ is to be blessed. Right, uh, You talk to many people and you almost think that to be in the church is to be miserable. That uh, they would rather be any place but the church. But the Lord says being part of the kingdom of heaven on earth is to be happy. And you can say God has blessed me by making me, all of you here tonight are part of the visible church. Um, all of you can say I am blessed to be part of of the church that God has blessed me in bringing me into a branch of his church and that takes us to how Romans fourteen seventeen teaches us of the kingdom because we have to find where true blessedness is and I think this text teaches us where to find our happiness in the kingdom the kingdom of God is not what not meat and drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost now, God would say, when you put these texts together, this is the believer's happiness. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is the happiness of the believer. Not in meat and drink, children. Not the things of this world. That's not my happiness. See, this is the, the, the problem, right? The, the problem, why do men and women chase after highs? 
because they don't last. And you need to continue to chase after it. Uh, the Bible's very plain. You know this from experience. Uh, things like meat and drink, you use them. You're happy for a brief moment, and then they're expelled out of the body. You use things uh, in order to be... Now, there's a right and lawful use for things like alcohol. I understand that. But if you use alcohol in order to chase a high, in order to chase pleasure, in order to chase happiness, you will become a drunkard. The same thing with drugs. And you will continue on and on and on and chase and chase and chase these things. And you will never find happiness, which is why you find so many people have ruined themselves, even uh, on this earth, chasing this kind of thing. That is not lasting happiness. But lasting happiness is found in the kingdom of God. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I think of these components. Having the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ is everlasting happiness. I'm not saved by my own righteousness, but the righteousness of another. There's no striving There's no striving in this life, that miserable, never-ending striving to try to be good. And it gave me everlasting peace with God in my justification. That is happiness if we knew God. And the man who has peace with God is ever happy. But also, as we think of righteousness, the kingdom brings us sanctification as well. Oh, we who are poor in spirit, right? We, We lament that often we have no holiness in us. But in the kingdom, we find we do become more holy uh, as God gives us grace when we enter the kingdom. We find that all that eluded us in terms of holy conduct can be given to us through way of means of grace exercise. Not only is there peace as we think of peace in the kingdom, peace between man and God in the kingdom through Christ, the greatest peace, but we also think the kingdom has peace between man and man. I've often said this because of my own ethnic background, but one of the beauties of like Synod is to see a Pakistani, an Indian, and a Sri Lankan embrace one another as brothers, these, these nations that are at war often with each other. And yet in Christ, there is peace between the citizens of the kingdom. No matter what ethnicity, no matter what sins, what social status, yes, we're sinners, and it's not always perfect and great. But there is still peace in Christ in the kingdom. We seek to edify one another. We seek to love one another. It's a blessed thing to be part of the kingdom. And in the kingdom is joy in the Holy Ghost, unspeakable joy and comfort. We saw that in Isaiah, this last Lord's Day, in Isaiah 44. Comfort in the comforter. Right? The Spirit testifies we are the children of God. You know, the kingdom's blessedness is always in relation to it, uh, its relation to God himself. And so the Holy Ghost gives us a sense of joy and comfort. I think about the, the blessedness of the kingdom in Hebrews 12, 28. As you think of the nations of this world, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved or shaken, let us have grace or thanks. Right? Have you ever been thankful that you are part of the kingdom? We are part of the kingdom that is unshakable, just as we've read recently in Daniel's prophecy, and we'll continue to, how the nations are going to be smashed. And you see regime after regime, administration after administration, come and go, and you're always asking, is my nation safe? Is it secure? Where will it be a hundred years from now? But we are thankful we are in the one kingdom that cannot be shaken, cannot be moved, 
and those who are in the kingdom. You think about how many citizens of the United States are always um, wondering, will uh, this nation be secure? Will it endure? What will happen to my children and their children's children in this nation? What kind of nation will they have? Well, we don't have any of those questions about the kingdom of heaven. Because it is safe, it is secure, Christ the King will conquer all, and any who enter it today will never have to worry that any enemy will rip them out of it. That in eternity to come, that there's any power that can compete with it. We have a kingdom unshakable, ever secure. Now, to be sure, the kingdom in this world is in seed form. Um, But the beauty is, this is a wonderful meditation. That though it's in seed form here, it will blossom in heaven, won't it? And so all of you who are in it here in seed form, uh, in the church of Jesus Christ, you are guaranteed, if you have faith in the Lord, that you will be in glory. And you will get the fullness of the kingdom of heaven before the throne of God, seeing him face to face there. Um, William Perkins said something quite wonderful about why being in Christ is being in the kingdom of heaven. He said, because that man in whom Christ rules by his word and spirit is already himself in heaven, though in body he be yet on earth. Right, where is your life hid after all? It's in heaven with God. That ought to make you happy. See, that's the thing, right? You can leave a place like this and you can say, I'm still not happy. And the question is why when you've had these glorious things unfolded. On the Lord's Day in our spiritual discussion, we conferred, as some of you know, on 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then cometh the end when he, that is Christ, shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. And we spoke on that notion, right? That typically Reformed dogmatics were always thinking about Christ having finished and accomplished his work, hands the kingdom to God. But Augustine had the wonderful thought, well, have you thought about what it means to be part of that kingdom? That you are being given to God. That you are being presented to God by Jesus Christ. And that you have a full now fruition of God. Yes, Christ still as mediator. But you have a full fruition of God through Christ's work. This is the blessedness of being in the kingdom. Is that he brings you to God. We will have God. And you have to ask yourself, who gives Beggars such blessings. Praise be to God. And now I think we understand why this is the first beatitude. Because you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven without this poverty of spirit. Well, before we close our time, being part of the kingdom is a blessing, but it does give you several duties, if you think of it. Christ tells you what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6.33. But here's the thing. Never divorce it from the beatitude, ever again, after hearing this. Because seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness ought to make you happy. Right? There's a blessedness. Don't you think that God smiles on the man or woman who puts first the kingdom of God and will make that person blessed? Second, if you are part of the kingdom, you are to submit to the king of the kingdom, aren't you? The rest of the Sermon on the Mount will teach you in that as well. We do that, though, out of grace, out of thanks for receiving the kingdom, having nothing. That's how Hebrews 12.29 is framed. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace 
whereby what? We may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And what happens? Again, tie it to the beatitude. When we do that out of faith, what happens? God shines his face upon us, and we are blessed. Third, if the kingdom was part of our happiness, it would have a higher place in our prayers. You know, how many of us pray for our worldly estate, but scarcely have a prayer for the kingdom of heaven? Even though, what is our true inheritance and what is our true happiness? Is it my house? No, it's the kingdom, unshakable. And yet, why do I pray more? Or why would you pray more for temporal things? Not saying you can't, but where is the kingdom which ought to be your happiness in relation? And when we pray, thy kingdom come, what happens? God shines his face on us and we are blessed. Beloved then, you know, we could speak more on duties. Time has gone away. When your spirit is downcast then, should you not remember the first beatitude? O my soul, blessed are who? The poor in spirit. And remember, this is Christ's word to you. This is his promise. You need to pour out your heart to him. When you feel that you have too little in the way of grace, poverty of spirit again, O my soul, blessed are the poor in spirit. Seek him for what you need. When God chastens you for your sin and you sense the hollowness of your soul, O my soul, blessed are the poor in spirit. Repent of your sin and be embraced by the Father. And when providence has brought your soul so low like Job in sackcloth and ashes, O my soul, blessed are the poor in spirit. Let me seek his blessed face, right? Blessed be the name of God because he is eternally blessed and he can give blessedness alone. You know, so many of you have testified in this congregation that sometimes you have been brought very, very, very low by the Lord. And yet that has been the very entrance to happiness for you. Blessedness. Because he has lifted you up as we sang in the 113th Psalm. Your poverty of soul and affliction was the occasion of the Lord to make you blessed in a way that the world can never make you and the world can never know. So you can say with the psalmist, O my soul, why art thou downcast? Hope now in God, I will praise him still. And a transcendent happiness that comes from the happiest being of all, God, can flood your soul. So you must also remember what the Lord has promised to you, friends, that in this life, happiness comes with a cross poverty of spirit, mourning next time. Uh, it doesn't come, doesn't say blessed are those who never shed a tear. He doesn't say blessed are those who are righteous. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. It doesn't say blessed are you when, uh, because everybody says nice things about you all the time. Right? These are not the Beatitudes at all. And yet we have patterned our thinking after the world's Beatitudes which are hollow and miserable, not Christ's. Because Christ makes you happy for himself, giving himself to you in your sorrows. Remember that for your soul's sake, and then in your death, you will be greatly happy as well. You will remember Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. 
What a thing that the Christian can go to his deathbed with a smile on his face because he knows that that smile will just intensify the moment the last breath leaves his body. And he will have great and everlasting abiding joy in the presence of ever-blessed God. And so, Christian, die with a smile so that when you awake, you will remember that you will never be anything but happy. Truly, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. God bless his word to us tonight. Let us respond with praise to God. Psalm 40, verses 11 through 17. Thy tender mercies, Lord, from me, O do thou not restrain. Thy loving kindness and thy truth, let them me still maintain. For ills past reckoning compass me and mine iniquities. Such hold upon me taken have, I cannot lift mine eyes. They more than hairs on, are on mine head, thence is my heart dismayed. Be pleased, Lord, to rescue me. Lord, hasten to mine aid. Shamed and confounded be they all that seek my soul to kill. Yea, let them backward driven be, and shame that wish me ill. For a reward of this their shame, confounded let them be, that in this manner scoffing say, Aha, aha to me. In thee let all be glad and joy, who seeking thee abide, who thy salvation love, say still, the Lord be magnified. I'm poor and needy, yet the Lord of me a care doth take. Thou art my help and Savior, my God, no tarrying make. Let us sing this portion of Psalm 40 to the tune of Cool Ross. La, 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 la. 